So hello, good morning everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm so glad that Guggen always has a home to come back to to visit. And just remember her. She's not... Guggen isn't dying. She's growing. (laughs) She's being planted in another place. So this morning we're going to be looking at the grace of the shepherds, um, subtitled Rags and Mangers. And uh, here at the Vineyard, we participate in the Advent tradition relating to the birth of Jesus around the Advent candle. And over December, one way we have uh, celebrated the candle, the Advent is by lighting one of the candles of the Advent wreath to represent an attribute found in the ad- Advent story. So one week we lit the candle of hope, the expectation in confidence. And one week we let... Uh, uh, and one week we, uh, candle, we lit the candle of mercy, which is compassionate and forbearance toward an offender. And that's depicted through John the Baptist, through his life and through his ministry. And another of the candles is a faith candle that's demonstrated by the Magi and the candle of joy of Christ announced by the angels. So today we're going to light the candle of grace, and I've asked Zachary to come forward and uh, light that candle, and as he does so, uh, we're going to look at how the candle fits into the scheme of things this morning in this shepherd's story. Today's message Thank you, Zachary. <laughs> Thank you. So today's message features grace, the empowering presence of God, as part of the narrative of the Vineyard Church. Our narrative represents who we are as a people and our purposes as a body living for Christ in a lost and hurting world. In this morning's message, you'll have a lot of opportunities to experience his empowering presence working throughout the Advent story as each of the characters live way beyond their means and their own limited understanding and their own strength. So we continue our Advent story in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, which I refer to as rags and mangers. So bear with me, but I think you also have this in the overhead. Now it came to pass in the days there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of the inhabited world. This was the first census taken by Quinarius, the governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called uh, Bethlehem, because he is of the house of the, and the family of David. He did this in order to register along with Mary, who was his, he was engaged to and with, was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out 
in the fields watching over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then, and see what this is what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they had made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things to which were told them by the shepherd. But Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that he had, they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. In the scene described in Luke 2, if it were reported in today's news, it would read something like this. Unwed mother and boyfriend have an illegitimate child, wrap him in rags and lay him in a manger or a cattle feeding trough. Parents claim the child is king and savior of the world. Child services investigating. <laughs> Things would be quite different. So the Luke consists of actually three divisions. The first one is uh, verses 1 through 7, and they explain the occasion for Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, and especially for the circumstances accompanying his, be- his birth, specifically his being wrapped in cloth or swaddling clothes or blanket and being placed in a cattle feeding trough, which also called a manger. Verses 8 through 14 describe the angelic visitation of the shepherds and the reason for their visit. And lastly, verses 15 through 20 report the shepherds' visitation and their testimony after personally seeing the Messiah. After the introduction of Luke, Luke's gospel, which is in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke begins to intertwine the advent of both John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, and Jesus himself. Luke does this by beginning the announcements and their respective births. This morning, we will focus on the birth of Jesus and the role of the unsuspecting shepherds who were in the field in Bethlehem, which is found in chapter 2. Mary had become pregnant through the miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit. She then visited her elderly aunt, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist in her old age. After a three-month stay, Mary returned home. Joseph, upon seeing her three-month pregnant state, must have been quite shocked and very disappointed by his fiancée. How sad for Joseph, because he knew he was not the father. As he was making plans, uh, he concluded that divorce was 
unavoidable, yet he also determined at least to do this privately rather than to make a public spectacle of Mary. As he was making those plans, an angel of the Lord intervened and told Joseph in a dream that Mary did not have an illicit union, but that the child she was carrying was God's son, Emmanuel. As a result of this revelation, Joseph took Mary as his wife and he provided and protected her, and later he served as the surrogate father for Jesus. Luke describes the birth of Jesus and reports the condition of Messiah's birth from a very human perspective. The first seven verses appear to be very secular, things like what you and I might face on a daily basis, although it has been adjusted by times. In this description, there's no mention of the hand of God in the matter, nor is there any particular spiritual activity associated with this very sad account, which on its own teeters on depicting a human tragedy. Just think of it, the Son of God covered with rags, placed in a cattle feeding trough. How inappropriate we might protest. How tragic. Yet, this might be so, but for the other side of the news, which is found in verses 8 through 20. Although these circumstances appeared at first glance to be very pathetic and very, very sad, the very circumstances themselves will prove to be the most significant in the Advent story. Verses 1 through 3 paint a secularized version for the pathetic plight of the Christ child. That is, that Caesar proclaimed a decree which required a census believed by most to be in preparation for a later tax levy. Registering for this census must have been a very painful act indeed. Not only was it inconvenient and challenging, but it was a reminder that while Israel, God's people, were in the land of promise, they were not free. A Roman law made by a pagan ruler compelled the Israelites to comply. The Jews were living in denial at the time. Their insistence that they were subject to no one, as seen in John 8:33, is an example of blatant denial. The painful reality was Israel was not free, life was hard, and the Jews were not in control. And yet the hand of God was active, even though the people of God were unaware of it, and their feathers were quite ruffled. The very decree that Caesar was divinely intending to cause one couple among thousands to make a long and difficult journey from their home in Nazareth to Galilee to the place of their birth, Bethlehem, in Judea. The ancient prophet had prophesied that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, a fact that was well known by the Jews. Matthew's report of the visitation of the three kings actually described how the three kings inquired of Herod after Jesus' birth as to where the newborn king could be found. And the response was, in Bethlehem. They knew. And in the, uh, it, it was written by the prophet, And you, uh, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler or king who will shepherd my people Israel. That's found in Matthew 2, 4 through 6, but it's actually the prophet uh, Micah in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 2. 
Luke's purpose is not to emphasize the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, as Matthew is the key to that. Rather, Luke's gospel is written to a Gentile person who is probably not familiar with the prophecies of the Old Testament. Luke's purpose is to show the humble circumstances of Messiah's birth. Thus, Luke shares with the reader that Mary and Joseph make their way walking to Bethlehem, which would have been at least a three-day journey of more than 60 miles. Nazareth is located in Galilee, north of Judea, and Luke actually describes the journey to Bethlehem as upward, and Joseph also went up from Galilee. As Bethlehem is in the hills, six miles south of Jerusalem, it's also 100 feet in altitude higher. The journey was not easy, especially for a very, very pregnant woman, nor were the circumstances of the journey happy. For the census would most likely lead to that tax, and that would be a great burden on Mary and Joseph. Mary and her husband would be far removed also from their family and friends should the baby arrive during the Bethlehem journey. Much of the traditions surrounding Christmas and the nativity imagery actually have been supplied by our filling in the gaps of the Luke account. What we are told in the passage is this. There was no room in the inn, and what resulted was that the baby was placed in a cattle feeding trough for a crib and wrapped in swaddling clothes or strips of cloth. I don't know whether any of you are familiar with the idea of using old rags, but one of the things in, in my childhood, my mother would take a sheet and rip it into strips and then put it on our head and wrap our hair around it and tie it in a knot, and after it dried, it would make ringlets. So strips of cloth could be very useful things in case you wanted to know. But it's probably not the thing you expect on a newborn baby, and certainly not what you would expect to be wrap our king, the savior, in. So these are very, very different uh, aspects of the story. So uh, when we look at these rags, it's like a cattle trough, rags that the baby's wrapped in. That's quite unique. So um, we might say that Mary and her husband, with her husband's help, uh, gave birth to the first child, Jesus, in the most miserable of all circumstances. Our conclusion is, if we must make it at this time, would be most likely that this was very, very sad and pathetic and very, very unworthy of the Messiah, the King of the Jews. So we now look at two key descriptive statements of Luke verses 7 and their uh, spiritual significance in the four verses that followed. So Mary and Joseph had just happened to be nearby a field in which the shepherds were were tending their flocks. And these shepherds were looked down upon by their countrymen. In fact, shepherds were loathsome to the Egyptians, and they were also poorly thought of by their own brethren. It has also been noted that those uh, times, shepherds were despised people. They were suspected of not being very careful to distinguish between mine and thine. And for this reason, they were not even allowed to give testimony in court. 
In spite of their poor reputation as a class of people, these shepherds seem to have been godly men, men who were looking for the coming of Israel's Messiah. All of the others of those who were directed, um, informed, directly informed of the birth of Jesus in Matthew and in Luke were described as godly people. And so it would seem that would be true of the shepherds as well. After all, the news of coming would be of great joy unless these shepherds, it would not be of great joy unless the shepherds were actually seeking him. The speed by which the shepherds go from that place to the place of Jesus' birth also testifies of their spiritual preparedness and eagerness at the coming of Messiah. This is in contrast to the response of the Jerusalem lights at the news of Messiah's birth as prophesied in their scriptures and announced, and announced by the Magi. So in Matthew uh, 2, 1 to 3, we read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod as a king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They were not excited that there was a king of the Jews born. To these humbled shepherds, the angel of the Lord appeared in a blaze of glory, which caused them to be greatly frightened. The angel assured them that he brought them good news and he told, uh, to tell them of the birth of Messiah. This was to be the cause of great joy for all people. It appears that by the language of the angel, the good news is meant for all people, all nations, and it would not just be reserved for Israel, who would benefit from Jesus' birth. Suddenly the angel was joined by a host of angels singing songs of peace. Here we find divine confirmation of the angelic announcement to the angels, or to the shepherds. So what he's saying there is, the shepherds uh, got the testimony, they hear about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, and it was good news. And it w- they heard it from one angel. But now a whole group of angels say, we are standing with this angel. They're not a rebellious angel. They're not a lying angel. They're the truth. And we're worshiping and for the, uh, all the joy that the Messiah brings. So the angel had promised a sign to the shepherds. And that sign was they would find the child wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a a cattle feeding trough. The sign was not designed to convince the shepherd of the truth of the angelic announcement. You already had a host of angels doing that. But rather, this sign was for the purpose of identifying who the Messiah is. From Matthew's account of the Bethlehem slaughter later in Matthew 2, 16 to 18, it's apparent that there were a lot of babies in Bethlehem at that time. Thus, this is the, uh, this is the way that they could recognize God's Messiah by his swaddling clothes and by his unusual crib and manger. No other child would be found in such a unique, unique setting. My mother may have wrapped my head in rags, but she never put me in a cattle feeding trough. Anyone else put in a cattle feeding trough? It's quite unique, yes? And so the two most pathetic 
factors in the birth of the Lord is swaddling clothes and his cattle feeding trough or manger. And they proved to be the very things which set this child apart from all the others and identify him to the shepherds. But they do more than this. They identify Messiah with the shepherds. One of the names of Messiah is Emmanuel. It means God with us. The circumstances of the Lord's birth uniquely identify the Lord Jesus Christ with shepherds. The Lord seemingly had no roof over his head, no house to dwell in, neither did the shepherds, who were told they step out under the stars and they cared for their flocks. Jesus was poor and of no reputation, as they were. Jesus was to be both the sacrificial lamb of God and the good shepherd. He identified with these shepherds by being found in a cattle feeding trough. Were they considered unclean by virtue of their contact with animals? So was Jesus. What a beautiful picture of the Lord's humility and identity with men. Even the most humble of men, rejected and despised men. Eagerly and with great haste, the shepherds went to to Bethlehem, where they, by God's grace and his empowering presence, found their way to Mary and Joseph and to the baby as he lay in the manger. It is important to recognize that the angel's announcement and the birth and the location of, of Messiah not only so that the shepherds could witness the historic occasion and to worship the king themselves, but also so they could tell others to be his witnesses, witnesses of Messiah's birth. So not only are the shepherds witnesses, and they have the opportunity to worship Jesus personally, but their whole call is to tell others and to share with others. So that's an interesting part as we come up to the next section. Think first of the impact of the shepherd's arrival and the announcement, how it was on Mary and Joseph. Granted, they've been told that they that the child who was miraculously conceived in Mary's womb was Messiah, the promised Savior. But it took years for this to be understood, just as it took years for the disciples to grasp who Jesus was. They continued to wonder and marvel at things, Jesus, that he would say and what he did, and not putting everything together until after his death, burial, resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Mary and Joseph must have also been greatly surprised by the shepherd's arrival and by the shepherd's story that they shared of the angelic announcement and choir. While all who heard this report wondered, Mary, in some special way, treasured all of these things in her heart, pondering them. It must have been at that at the time of the shepherds, all of the inconvenience and the unpleasant circumstances of the birth of Jesus came into a true spiritual light. What was once appeared to be nothing but a series of unfortunate events now is revealed to be the very hand of God working through history to accomplish God's will. 
The testimony of the shepherds also had a great impact on the people in the area who were looking for God's Messiah. Luke informs us that the shepherds found their way to Mary, Joseph, and the child. But how did they find him? We don't know exactly, but can't you imagine how it might have occurred in such a way as to make Jesus' arrival known to a great many of people? Let's consider the, the shepherd's search for the baby's Messiah, uh, the Messiah in Bethlehem was like a scavenger hunt. The clues that were given was there was a newly born babe, the baby was a boy, and it could be found in a cattle feeding trough wrapped in strips of cloth. Just imagine those shepherds converging on the town of Bethlehem in the middle of the night, knocking on doors, seeking to find a child meeting this description. One looking on the town from a distance might have seen the whole town progressively lighting up as the shepherds go from house to house looking for the Christ child. From every house where the baby was not found, there was probably another addition to the search party. Perhaps the town was awakened and engaged in the search before the baby was found. The whole town. All of this served to make the news of the Christ child's birth known, as well as to create a mood of expectation and curiosity. At some of the homes, there must have been requests for the shepherds to be sure to come back and give them the news where the the child could be found. After the shepherds found the child and shared with Mary and Joseph what had happened, they probably retracted their steps right to the town of Bethlehem, bringing all the people up to date what they had seen. Luke tells us all who heard of at the things which were told them, sorry, let me say, he tells us all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. Last, we, do, we don't want to forget that the shepherds were not strangers. Rather, they were from Bethlehem. They were Bethlehemites themselves. They were waking up their neighbors, their friends, and their family. These shepherds who belonged to a class of society banned from bearing testimony in a courtroom were the very people God chose to bear witness to his birth of his son. What an irony. Why would God do that? Because God has always chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. And because ultimately it's not the messenger that matters, but it's the message itself. If Jesus came to bring salvation and deliverance to the poor, the oppressed, the despised of the world, why not announce it by means of the despised and the rejected? The apostles of the Lord were just such men, as are most of us here today. As I wrap up this morning, I'd like you to consider for yourself in the coming days some ideas coming out of the message which highlight the irony of God and the width and the breadth of his empowering presence active throughout the world. For example, David had been promised by God that Messiah would come through David's bloodline. Joseph, Mary's husband, was of the line of David. Joseph was of the line, Jesus was of the line of Joseph, line of David. 
David was a shepherd who was, became a king. Jesus, Messiah, is a shepherd king. Prophecies from the Old Testament foretold of Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is the total sufficiency for all who take and see. Jesus told his disciples that he, uh, as to the bread, take, eat, this is my body. Jews cleansed their house from all yeast, sin. The bread eaten was flat bread. Jesus never ate leavened bread. Jews cleansed their home of all yeast or sin. The wine that they drank was the unfermented fruit of the vine. Like John the Baptist, Jesus never drank fermented grape juice, referred to today as wine. Shepherds identify Messiah at his birth. The shepherds identified the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, and his sheep, those who know him, hear his voice and follow. Three kings came to worship the king of the Jews and gave him prophetic gifts. The three kings worshiped the king of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Messiah, Son of God. David responding I uh, sorry, David representing all mankind sinned. Jesus, born in the line of David, was sinless, and he died for King David's sins and for the sins of the world. Jesus, son of David, died that David and all sinners might live eternally through him. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now, may you enjoy the peace of God under his reign, especially as you celebrate his birth this Christmas. Some of you may wish to come forward just to thank the Lord and to worship him. And we would love to meet you there. The worship team, or sorry, the prayer teams might come forward. Some of you may wish to come forward to thank Jesus and to worship him in your own special way. And some of you are suffering from sickness of the body or sadness of the heart. And we would ask you to come forward and let one of the prayer partners pray with you. Some of you may just need an encouraging word or a listening ear. And God can speak to you and hear you. And we'd be happy to join with you at the altar. This will be the end of our service today. Please feel free to stay and hang around and visit with each other. The children that are in ministry classes are available to be picked up now. And I would just pray and say, may each and all of you be blessed and encouraged this Christmas, this whole week and thereafter. We bless you and we pray that your Christmas this year is full of Christ and the joy his presence brings. Amen.